Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio episode number 217. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to review and discuss 2022's Strange World here in our catch-up month. A lot of people saw Strange World for the first time on Disney+. Plus. It didn't stay in movie theaters very long. We're going to flesh all of that out later. But I was happy to see that when this did go to Disney+, Plus for three weeks running, it held the top streaming spot. So I'm glad that people actually did get an opportunity to sit and watch this movie. Yes, that's really nice to know that there was that much interest in it after it had such a short box office run. We did get to see it in theaters, uh, and I'm really happy we did because I feel like the animation certainly loses something. Even though we have a large TV, um, it wasn't quite the same on rewatch. Yeah, I mean, having a 65-inch TV with 4K is beautiful, but being able to sit in a movie theater where you become immersed in this world that they've created uh, was second to none. And and we're going to talk about the world building and the animation uh, in just a few moments here. But um, yeah, I mean, stellar cast. When we first saw the trailers, I was excited because it had that Indiana Jones-esque font. And I was really excited that Disney was continuing with this latest trend where they are leaning more into the adventure films in their animation than they are anything else. Right. And I feel like it was a very good trailer, but it's nothing like what the movie actually is. It was a very good teaser trailer. Yes. Is the movie anything that we thought it was going to be? Is the movie something that is completely different and unique for Disney animation? Is it a story that we want to see more of? That, on top of many other things, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Lost Weekend Co-Planners for Dreamers and Doers. These subtle Disney day planners are inspired by Walt's creation of Disneyland and are designed to remind you of what can happen when one person fearlessly pursues their dreams. The 12-month planner contains annual goal-setting pages, monthly setup pages and habit trackers, plus a calendar view with inclusive holidays and magical dates in Disney history, weekly scheduling with plenty of space for writing, monthly and quarterly reflections, as well as end-of-the-year review pages. Pixie-dusted throughout are quotes from Walt Disney and other dreamers. The planner has a beautiful fabric cover that will fit any decor and is made with sustainability in mind from thick FSC certified recycled paper. And it comes in a keepsake box to hold park maps, tickets, and your favorite Disney memories. At the time of this recording, there are limited quantities of 2023 planners available. So head over to lostweekandco.com to order yours now or sign up for the newsletter to see all of the new products Lost Week and Co. will be launching this year. We meet explorer Jaeger Clade, a fearless man and his son Searcher who cares more for science and research than a adventure. As they explore the mountains surrounding their home of Avalonia, Searcher finds plants pulsing with energy that he thinks could be Avalonia's future while Jaeger believes their future lies beyond the mountains. The two argue so Jaeger continues on his quest alone, never to be seen again. 25 years later, the plants that Searcher found, called Pando, is the source of all energy in Avalonia. Searcher is married to Meridian, who farms with him, while his rebellious son Ethan seems less than interested as he would rather be playing Primal Outpost, his favorite card game. 
After Searcher embarrasses Ethan in front of his crush, Diazzo, they go to town to make deliveries where they see statues erected for both Searcher and Jaeger, who Searcher refuses to speak about. So Ethan doesn't know much about his grandfather. Later that night, President Callisto Maul, who used to be a part of Jaeger's crew, arrives to show Searcher that the Pando is dying and they are setting off to find out why. Searcher reluctantly agrees to go, but forbids Ethan from joining. We learn that Pando is connected by a singular root system and something has infected its heart. They discover that the roots are in a sinkhole and we see that Ethan has also stowed away on their ship along with their dog Legend and that Meridian has flown after him. Their ship is attacked by flying creatures and Searcher and Legend get thrown from the ship which then crash lands in a unique subterranean region filled with other interesting and unique creatures. As Searcher and Legend are attacked, they are rescued by the legendary Jaeger Clade. Meanwhile, Callisto and Meridian start to repair the ship to save Searcher, while Ethan wants to set off now to find them, which he does alone. The quest reminds him of Primal Outpost, but he quickly finds himself surrounded by danger. Searcher and Jaeger bicker as they trek on to find their ship, and come across one of Ethan's primal outpost cards, so now they know that he is out there on his own. We learn that Splat, a gelatinous creature that Ethan befriends, is really a scout for the predatory Reapers. As the Reapers attack, Ethan, Jaeger, and Searcher arrive and rescue him, along with some help from Splat and Meridian. Callisto tells them that they will save Pando and then continue to the other side of the mountains to appease both parties, all while Ethan takes a great liking to Jaeger, despite Searcher's objections. They reach the Boiling Sea, the biggest obstacle uh, obstacle between them and the heart of Pando, but Splat guides them through it with the help of more flying creatures. Jaeger later admits that he didn't return home because he had to keep exploring as that was his purpose. And if he wasn't an explorer anymore, what was he? Um, Meridian sees how happy Ethan is and encourages him to truly consider what his future can be under the ground as opposed to farming above it. The deeper they go, the stronger the Pando gets, and they continue to fight off Reapers and other subterranean creatures who appear to be attacking the Heart of Pando. They defend the Heart of Pando by turning their ship into a giant crop duster while Splat tries to prevent them from doing so. Ethan does not want to fight the creatures as he does not want to kill them and tells Searcher that he does not want to be a farmer and he wants to explore, which causes a rift between Ethan Searcher and Jaeger, so Ethan runs away again. But Searcher goes with him, and that's when he also tells him that he wants nothing. He he does not want to be anything like him. Ethan and Searcher eventually drift past the mountains, and they see an eye and realize that the creatures are an immune system, and that Pando is killing the creature that they have unknowingly be uh, they've been unknowingly living on all of their lives. When they return to the ship, no one believes them when they tell them what they have found, so Jaeger leaves while Callisto has Ethan, Searcher, and Meridian locked in a closet, which Splat breaks them out of fairly quickly. They take control of the ship, so Ethan and Searcher wrangle the Reapers and dig a hole in the Pando attacking the heart of the creature in order to help fight off Pando's infection. Eventually, Callisto sees the heart and believes their story. Jaeger returns to help... Um, 
and he and Searcher cut the remainder of the hole in the pando while Ethan leads the Reapers to the opening where they destroy the pando and save the creature. They then go to the other side of the mountains so that Jaeger can fulfill his life's journey. They then return home pando free where they are organically farming again. Um, But Ethan, of course, he stays underground along with his friends, including Diazzo, and we see that not only have they been living on the back of a giant turtle, but this was all a comic book adventure the entire time. Is it, though? I think it is. I want to put a pin in that, because I feel like as we're talking, through, it, it's a question that I've had every single time that we watch it, and I really don't have... A defining stance on it. So I'm hoping by the end of our discussion that I'll be able to pick a side. All right. Well, yeah, let's see if we can pick one by the end. Um, Let's talk about what has been so far, and I know that it was to kick off Disney 50, what is probably the best castle open ever? Yeah, I remember we were kind of caught off guard by that uh, when we saw it in the theaters. And I remember once people started watching it on Disney plus, there was like a big explosion on TikTok of, Oh my God, this new open. Uh, it is very cool. Um, I mean, I will forever miss the nineties, just 2d, very simple, the lines and the, the music too, that went with it. Yeah. Um, but this was very cool. It incorporates more films. The only thing <laughs> I was kind of like, mm, that's a choice. They use When You Wish Upon a Star. Right. But you cut it from the movie. Oh, yeah. True. It's not in its entirety in the live action remake of Pinocchio. Um, and Jiminy doesn't sing it. Which tells you just how important the song. Oh, okay, well, go back. And That's listen what I'm to our saying. Review. It's it's your capstone just, song, but mm, just go back mind. and listen to our never review, mind. or don't. Um, <laughs> uh, um, but speaking of theme song, theme songs and capstone songs. That's what you get greeted with immediately as the film opens. Here is you get this Jaeger Clade, Jaeger Clade, and it, but it's so, but it's tongue in cheek intentionally. It's supposed to be cheesy. To me, it's like Batman. It's not supposed to be taken all that seriously, which leads me to believe that this is a comic book movie the whole time. I, it's... I but I want to hear from you because the look on your face is, says different. <laughs> if anything. This is what makes me lean comic book, but I'm still not 100% sure. My face is not about the song. It's the names that almost lose me. And if we are team comic book here, they work because you do need a punchy, almost superhero sounding name. Like Jaeger Clade. Exactly. If it's not a comic book... This is just lazy writing. Um, as much as I love him to death, Kevin Smith cannot write character names to save his life. I'm thinking specifically of Jersey Girl with Ollie Trinky, and he does it again in Zack and Miri with Miri Linky. And we, we keep saying, I'm sure there's more that I'm forgetting in the moment, but it happens a lot. And I don't think people realize how much thought and purpose 
need to be given to names. Because first of all, you can use the name of a person that you know, and that's fine. But if you also use their likeness and you write them into your characters, they can sue you. That's why you get the disclaimer at the end of the credits every right. time where it says any these characters are fictitious and any similarities are coincidental. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but that is all a CYA thing. Yeah, don't sue us. Can't sue us. Exactly. Um so you do have to be careful when coming up with these names. Aside from, you know, taking the likeness of someone, you also want to create like a strong name, like a Michael Corleone or like a Rocky Balboa. And a lot of times, too, these names are sometimes coming from books if it's an adaptation. But like when you think of like a movie name, that's what you want it to be. And it like Jaeger, it, it is not it for me. But otherwise... I dig this open. Um, I I love the hyper stylized nature of it. The first part, the black and white, where they're talking about Avalonia and introducing this world, it reminds me in all the best ways of the opening to the Indiana Jones ride because that's what this era was. It was trying to like hype people on adventures, but when they were doing these advertisements. It almost plays like a sci-fi movie, pitching you on going to this place on an expedition to a place that you've never been. Yeah, because it's supposed to be a comic book movie. That's that's how I take this. But you're right. The similarities are there. The style of filmmaking is there. And I think that's why like it hooks me immediately. Right. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I'm sold on the black and white hey you know come to Avalonia but then when they do the character intros with the song I do really enjoy those splash pages they look great they do um and the pace is really good in the beginning they don't waste a lot of time getting us from the conflict to the future and it's not rushed but they don't drag their feet and they tell you just about everything that you need to know about okay you've got Jaeger Clade He's the manly man, right? Nothing's going to ever stop me, and I'm going to kill things with my bare hands. And then you've got Searcher, who's clearly out of his element. Um, and he's the one saying, maybe we don't need to just keep trekking on. We found this plant. Like, this is our future. Look at it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they do so much fleshing out of the characters in just that, like, two minutes of conversation that... I think that it's some of the best screenwriting in the movie, actually. I agree. I really like the early setup of this conflict between the two of them just coming from their polar opposite personalities. Um, I do disagree, though, that Searcher's out of his element. I mean, yes, he does need to be saved, and, and his dad does save him when he falls. Um, but I don't think he's completely out of his depth. I think he's kind of you know where he doesn't have Jaeger's strength I feel like he does have the smarts where if he were the one who got separated he could still make it on his own because he has the knowledge the survival knowledge maybe but he it's just that he has no interest at all in being an explorer and that's basically all that we know about him right so once he's grown and we do get to Avalonia where we see his farm I absolutely love this world building. To me, it was reminiscent of like a Jules Verne novel where you blend that old time with futuristic. Like it reminds me of the Nautilus, like that 
was supposed to take place a while ago, but the ship itself was so futuristic and it had all these bells and whistles. And that's kind of what you get at the farm here. Yeah, even though you know right away you can't trust that Pando. Right. I mean, you're watching it pulsate. They're relying on it for everything. It grows like a weed. You know right away that you cannot trust this Pando. Well, I also really like that social commentary, though. Yes. Because yeah. there will be a problem when you when you use up all of your source. Right. Um, I like, though, and I don't want to get too far ahead because I don't want to spoil it just now. But once you've seen the film and you know exactly what... Well, you've already done the plot, so it the doesn't plot. matter. <laughs> but now that you're doing the rewatch and you know what it is, they are dropping clues left and right that they are on a living, breathing thing with a heartbeat. Yes, but upon first watch, you never give it a second thought. Because the Pando, that's what I'm saying, the old and the new, the Pando seems so futuristic because it's just this glowing, and it, it almost looks like a tesseract that it's attached to a plant. Right. So I think they were they were very careful, but they pulled it off as far as making us think futuristic. Yes. So we get introduced to Meridian, uh, very strong intro, coffee first. Yeah, very it, relatable. It speaks to me. <laughs> very relatable. And then you get introduced to Ethan, who's dressed differently. He acts differently. He's got a far more laid back mentality. He's not all that interested in the farming because Jaeger is kind of getting on him for saying like, hey, you didn't weed this garden. And he comes back with, so you just want me to pull a plant away from another plant because you feel like it shouldn't be naturally with that other plant. Like he's rebellious. He's different. He's but he's also very smart. You know, he's got an answer for everything. Sometimes you want to backhand him because I don't like kids that have answers for everything. But in a way that, you know, obviously he's questioning his authority and you can tell out of the gate that it's going to be a lather, rinse, repeat, which at the time made me think perhaps this is going to be a movie about Searcher because now Searcher went and did this with his father and now he's got to wade through the same waters with his son. And that's a part of it, but it, they don't lean into it exactly the way I thought that they would. Yes, you're absolutely right. But it does sort of, it, it plays out better than you expect because they managed to balance it out with all three generations. Correct. I think this is a really strong intro for Ethan. Um, I thought it was interesting because they haven't done it in a while where we're honing in on a 16-year-old. Yeah. Um, well, I shouldn't say that because when you when you hear the hard time stamp, I thought 16 and I was like, oh, Ariel was 16. Um, but they have actually done with Raya and with Mirabelle, we have seen like a more, um, more adult main character that is struggling with family issues pretty recently, actually. Yeah. Um, but I think hearing the 16, I was like, oh, it's interesting that they, they timestamped it because I don't think that they do with Mirabelle or Raya. No, I don't believe that they do. And Raya's Raya's journey is completely different. Mirabelle is really, I, I think, probably the most recent character that we could comp e Ethan to because she's struggling fitting in with her place in her family. Right. 
Um, but I love that opening line uh, to touch on what you said, where um, he's like, what is a weed except a plant that's growing in a place that's inconvenient for you? That tells us everything that we need to know. It's that he is respectful of the environment um, and he's going to question the norm. Yeah, for sure. So he's now out working in the field with his father and his friends pull up because they had a primal outpost release at the store. He couldn't get to it, but they got him an extra pack. Well, it's not just anybody that got him an extra pack. It's Diazo, who he's got a crush on. And they call it out in the screenwriting. Okay, guys, you have three to five minutes of flirtation, and then we're moving on. So obviously, there's mutual interest between the two of them. Neither one of them knows exactly how to pursue it. And I thought that they did a good job of making the dynamic of that relationship very relatable because I think at some point, everybody at 16 had a crush on somebody else. I think in a lot of those times, unbeknownst, well, this is the thing, right? Unbeknownst to them, the other side was crushing on them, but because it's such an awkward phase and I think because... At that age, you're just so shy and confused in general because you're going through so much that you don't pursue it as quickly as you do or as quickly as you should have. It's interesting here that they have that they call them both out on it. So they're both acknowledging it. And yet at the same time, they're still not pursuing it. I mean, I think that's what is makes what does make it so relatable because they're in the same friend group. I think. That's the challenge is that like when you're that age and you have a crush on someone that you're not friends with, it's more awkward because you don't know how to talk to them. You're just going to see them in the halls at school. And if you don't pursue it, that's pretty much going to be it here. I like that they really lean into like what happens when you have to talk to your crush. Yeah. And you sort of fumble. And then. This is the only thing that I wish they would have leaned into even more is when Searcher comes out. And he, I love when he says to Meridian, like, oh, the crew's here. I'm going to go say hey. And she's like, Ethan's crew, not yours. Um, I like that they take this approach to show how supportive Searcher is of Ethan. And they establish that he's accepting of Ethan. But I feel like they're trying to channel the audience point of view through Searcher, because this is Disney's open first openly queer character. Um, and I feel like that that's something that wasn't talked about a lot. That's why you didn't see a lot of trailers and a lot of promo for this movie. After what happened with Lightyear, uh, Disney didn't want that same controversy. It was fine. They hung Pixar out to dry with it, yeah, but they course. didn't want to do it on their on their own film, much like they'll send Pixar to Disney+, Plus, but they'll do th the theatrical release for their own, even though Pixar is still theirs. It, I digress. That's a whole separate conversation. But I, in this moment, I see what they're trying to do. They are trying to say to the audience, hey, get on board here. But I just wish that they would have leaned into a cringy dad moment where Searcher embarrasses him. And I feel like that would have been so much more relatable. I mean, Ethan is embarrassed just by virtue of Searcher even talking to his crush. But Searcher's trying to be a wingman. He's like, oh, Ethan's such a great farmer. He's strong and he's smart and he's this and he's that. None of that's really embarrassing. 
everybody has gotten embarrassed by their parents in front of their crush. And like, give me that awkward teen moment here. Oh, I think that's exactly what this is. Really? Well, because I think Searcher's trying too hard. And and the line of, oh, uh, Ethan's talked a lot about you. It's like, wait, wait, why are you talking so much about him to your parents behind closed doors? It It is a cringy moment. I think what you're saying is right. They're trying to gear the audience point of view through the eyes of Searcher. Um, and, w- and we'll discuss, I think, a little bit later on whether whether there was a balance there or whether Disney was just, I don't want to say forcing it on you because that's not the right term. If Disney was trying too hard, I think that's the right term. Was Disney trying too hard trying to get this message across and that becomes distracting from the cringy dad moment? Because I think that there are... To, I, I think that this is a cringy dad moment, but to comment on something else that you said, I, I don't think that this was ignored or, or not talked about at all. I think that it was talked about quite a bit because I think people are pointing at this movie being a box office bomb and using that as the reason for it, which is... It, when I say it's partially true, that's not to sound closed-minded so much as it is that you lose a large demographic in terms of a worldwide theatrical release because there are just cultures and there are countries that do not accept this. Sorry for the splash of cold water, but this is the way that the world works whether you like it or not. So there are just certain entire countries where Disney could not release this film. So when you're talking about losing $100 million in a foreign box office, it's you're going to be very up against it in terms of whether or not you can even make money back. And because of the controversy surrounding Lightyear, you didn't see a lot of marketing for this because you're right. Disney's going to try and kind of sweep it under the rug and push it to Disney Plus, which is why it's so. Which is why it was so relieving to hear that Disney Plus got that this film did get as many streams on Disney Plus as it did. But I I think this movie got talked about a lot more than you think. I think people just didn't real. I think the I think the general movie going audience didn't realize that Disney had a movie that got released at Thanksgiving because they didn't promote it. But people that were in the know around Disney, they knew that this movie was coming out. Well, that's what I was talking about. I was talking about everything leading up to the release and the marketing. I wasn't I didn't mean like post box office numbers. Right, right. I actually have to look it up because those are all really good points and I'm wondering if it was released globally, like on every Disney Plus market. I'm wondering if the stream numbers are strong because those are U.S. numbers. I think they said there were about 25 or 30 countries that this movie did not get released in, in theaters. And these are these are markets where Disney relies on those box office numbers. Because the movie did lose them somewhere between 100 and $150 million. So, you know, that's... but But when you lose that many foreign markets and then you don't really promote it in the only, in one of the few major markets where you actually can release the film, I think Disney knew what they were up against right away, and I think that's why within a month of the theatrical release, it gets pushed to Disney+. Plus. But with all of that being said, um, the cringiness of the dad thing, at first, I thought this is going to get old quick, but because the next scene after their little delivery scene where they see the statues 
in town. Mm-hmm. It's the it's Meridian and Searcher dancing in the kitchen while they cook, which nobody does. So this like we're too cute for reality and I'm a total cheese ball and I'm cringy to me that that transcends even the conversation with Diazzo because now he's doing it in the privacy of his own home. It's just his personality. Yeah. We kind of blew through that with the character intros before. Um, that's Searcher and Meridian's first interaction is they're smooching in the kitchen. Right. That's the cringe moment because we're seeing that through Ethan's lens when he comes downstairs and he's like, this is what I get first thing in the morning. And that's when they timestamp his age. Yes. Um, but I love all of these family dynamic beats. I think it's refreshing because it's something we hardly ever get to see in Disney movies because most of the time we're dealing with a single parent. Yeah. Um, so I like that they took advantage of a film that, needs both parents in this case and they were able to lean into that a little bit more um i also want to touch on the more films that disney does the better and better the food animation gets that was something we talked about a lot with raya it's something that was a big part of encanto especially um with the arepas it just looks better and better but Searcher's breakfast in the beginning, the avocado toast looks incredible. And this dance sequence where they're cooking, it's amazing. Like, I I don't know how you can improve on animating food, but somehow they do. Yeah. Um, And just the pando animation. Yeah. Like, as you watch it pulse in the fields. And to me, it reminds me of, like, the Green Lantern. But it it looks so good. Like... The animation in general throughout this entire film is some of some of the best animation we've ever seen Disney do. It's it's outstanding world building, playing with the neon colors, playing with really unique and different colors and unique and different settings. Um, and then, like to you know, to your point, the way that they make the food look so good and so realistic. This is some of the best animation that this studio has ever done. Yes. Um, okay, so now. Callisto shows up with her ship because they have that little earthquake or so they think and they run outside and she just crash lands in the middle of the pando that is dying. But Searcher is so stubborn though in this moment. He's completely unfazed by the ship and more concerned about it landing on his crop. And then he's immediately against the expedition to save it just because they use the word expedition. This was your big discovery, and you care about it so much. You should be leaping at the chance to go find out what's wrong and save it. And instead, it's like, nope, you use the word explore, yeah. and I've got daddy issues. This, to me, is it's, it's got to be Ian Malcolm. The, I've been there, I don't want to go back, but I know I don't have a choice, so I've got to go against my better judgment. That's a great comparison. That's what it should have been. Yeah. But yeah. you're right. He just hears expedition. No. No. Exactly. He, they may as well have had him throw his hands over his ears. Yeah. And, and go, la, 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 la. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the stowaway thing. Like, I know you have to get the whole family there. This, no. The stowaway thing at this point is just played out. And there are no repercussions about him disobeying his father and putting his mom and his dog, his three-legged dog, in danger. I question how that first leg was lost now. Ethan yeah <laughs> um like you do get them the reactions from the mom and Callisto and I actually really love how that's written 
because Meridian is chasing them down on her ship, which again, I questioned because in the scene before her Pando died. So how did she manage to get, I mean, like, of course you, she got more Pando, but like, that's kind of a big risk. And I don't know that her crop duster was capable of chasing the ship down, but she does. And she's like, your son's on the ship. What? I can't hear you. Your son is on the ship. But Callisto finishes the line for her because she brings out Ethan that she has now discovered. Yeah. It's a good reveal, but as soon as it happened, I was kind of like, ugh. Here we go again. Okay. And up until this point, I really dug Ethan. But now I was like, you're going to be a disobedient kid. I don't know how long that's going to hold me. Especially because he runs off like nine other times. Yeah. Um, But this subterranean world, I love the whole set. Because now we're getting chased around. We're getting chased by these flying creatures which most of them don't have names, so we're just going to call them flying creatures. Um, and uh, Legend, the dog, and Searcher, they get thrown from the ship as it's crash landing. So now they're, uh, you know, they're off on their own. The ship is crash landed. Now we have to rebuild the ship. The ship, but like the 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 world around them is so unique and so incredible that I wish that, and it's never going to happen, but I wish that someday you could get some sort of immersive experience in the park where you live in this world. I have a pitch. I mean, it wouldn't be fully immersive. Here but comes <laughs> the quarterly Body Wars pitch. Here it comes, folks. How'd you know? <laughs> No, I wouldn't want to see that in favor of Inside Out, but you could. I feel like this world building lends itself more than Inside Out does. Anyway, no, I agree with you. It's stunning. Even once you know that they have crash landed into the lungs and now you know what it is. First, it's so obvious now, but... It's just so well done. Like, I don't care on rewatch. I'm just paying attention to how beautiful the animation is. I think this is also where the trailer was so misleading. Because if memory serves, the trailer does spend the most time in the lungs. And I remember watching it thinking, did they go subterranean? Did they go to the past? Is this a time travel thing? Are they in space with these floating objects? Some of the moving land masses, I, I think they were supposed to be reminiscent of dinosaurs, but they do like actually look like a brontosaurus walking. Yeah. Um, so I love how the trailer misdirects you in that way, because obviously now that we've seen it, taking taking away the fact that they are on a living creature, it's just still not at all what you were expecting from those first couple of visuals. For sure. And I don't think that it gets ruined on rewatch either. No. I, I think it's, as odd as this sounds, I think the more you watch it, the more impressive it gets. Because you're, you're now looking for different things upon rewatch, and every time you do, you find something else. I also think it's remarkable how many, not even hints that they were dropping, they spelled it out the entire time with the Pando heartbeat in the first scene. Now it is so obvious that this is a lung um, especially when you put it up against later the stomach with the acid, they really were pointing you in that direction the entire time. 
and and they make it so obvious. But I think that's also where the comic book open is very misleading because you're getting all these maps. So it still reads that they've traveled to another world entirely. Yeah. And then you get Jaeger. Jaeger's back. Um, you knew it was coming because you knew you whenever and th- this is true of any film. If you don't see the character die, although the MCU's kind of thrown this for a loop, if you don't see the character die, it means they're alive somewhere. So you knew Jaeger was going to come back and have to rescue his own son. Of course. What I don't love, though, is that his ego is just so big. There is hardly a glimpse of what he has been through for 25 years alone down here. Like, we know, obviously, that he can survive. But other than the reaction to find out, finding out that his wife is remarried, there's just no emotional context and you can't get a read on him. And it almost villainizes him because we're looking at this through Searcher's lens and he's never had a good relationship or really even good memories of his father because his whole thing is that you left us. You didn't try to come back and your expedition was more important than coming back to your family. So with that in mind, the fact that we haven't seen him, the fact that we get no reaction, it almost makes him an unlikable character. It's not like the comparison that I'm thinking of is um, when we get Alan Parrish back from Jumanji. Yeah. And of course, you know, he's been in the jungle. You can see the wear and tear. You can see that he hasn't had a haircut in all those years that he was trapped in the game. Uh, but you see the immediate fallout is that he's looking for his crush and his family and nothing is the same because he's been gone for so long. We don't, get any of that they they race through that beat far too quickly no instead what you get is immediate conflict yes bickering as if not that's the one constant that's the one thing that hasn't changed neither one of them seems all that interested in being with the other one and they're just going to start arguing and bickering and picking up where they left off 25 years prior i do like that because it keeps the pace up but um i just don't like that we almost lose Jaeger as a character. I, I'm I'm talking about from the audience's point of view. You needed something else to keep us rooting for him in this scenario because otherwise we are just going to fall into feeling like Searcher. The other thing that kind of bothers me a little bit is how did Jaeger not recognize Searcher? Like, yes, a lot of time has passed, but it's not like he looks that different or the animation was that different because he wasn't a kid when his dad Right. Ran off. Like, he was a teenager. You you don't look that much different. No. Or Callisto. He doesn't recognize Callisto either. So, yeah, there's that. And as this is happening, now Ethan has gone off on his own to go find Searcher. Um, so he's run off again. It's what got them into trouble the first place was that he ran off. So Even now he's going to keep doing it. Meridian appointed him a babysitter. Yes. Not a babysitter, but... She chose the weakest crew member to watch him. So he's off on his own. He finds Splat. Splat's a scout. He's about to feed him to the Reapers. There's all of this danger going on around him. And what gets lost here, I think, 
because I think the bickering becomes so distracting. What gets lost here is actually some good screenwriting um, where despite the fact that Ethan's off on his own again, and that's going to get played out, by the way, he is showing that he is fearless, that he does want to explore, that his interests lie further than just farming. Um, and he's a kid, right? Ultimately, he's 16. He's going to make bad decisions. He's going to make mistakes. But I feel like you lose here the fact that you're getting introduced to the Reapers who on on surface level seem like they're villains and they become such a larger part of it later. The, you kind of lose track of all of this because I think that the bickering just becomes a little too much between the father and the son. You're absolutely right. Because then once they are all reunited and Ethan meets back up with Searcher and now Jaeger, you don't get that grandfather-grandson bonding moment. Um, they did introduce this idea earlier of... Jaeger is this larger than life legend and Ethan knows about him through those stories. But he, he did ask searcher. I want to know from you what he was like. And searcher only talks about all of his issues with him, not what he was as a person and, and why he was this, such a successful explorer because he was so fearless so you don't really get that moment of Ethan being so excited to meet this larger-than-life figure, but like, great, now I can have a relationship with my grandfather. Um, just because there's some, and obviously, you know, they're trying to keep the pace up with all of the action, and they weren't going to take a beat and do like a formal introduction between Ian and his grandfather. So you weren't going to have that like big moment. Um, but once the action falls and you do get that beat where Jaeger tries to get to know him a little bit um, after he's cleaned up, he's got a haircut and, and now he's ready to go back into grandpa mode. The conversation jumps right to Diazzo. Yeah. And I thought that, so here is the thing. I had heard, which this is why you don't ever believe a damned thing you read on the internet, that this movie is filled with, he doesn't understand me. Oh, and I thought, gosh. okay, so I, I obviously knowing what the context of the film is in regards to Ethan as a character... I thought, wow, Disney's going to go for a little bit of conflict, perhaps with a lifestyle choice. And immediately, see, it's not Searcher. And I'm like, okay. And I kind of forgot about it a little bit until you get this moment with Jaeger. And when Jaeger goes, do you have a sweetie back at home? And I went, oh, my God, this is going to be brilliant. Because you have, you have Ethan, who's really very quickly taken to Jaeger. Yes. Because Ethan finds the exploration fun. He finds it exciting. That's what's calling to him. And, you know, beware the enemy you don't know. You've got this family member that you think you have so much in common with who you've never met. You've only heard all bad things about. But perhaps this is your false sense of security because 
you just see that you guys are so similar. It's like in Hook, right? When Peter's son starts taking to Hook and they do the baseball game. You become the father figure that your actual father isn't. Right. Only to be let down by it later. I'm thinking this is the opportunity where you're going to build up this relationship and you could tear it down. You're going to put Ethan through some hardship with this hero that he just met, that he's always had interest in. But this is also a way of defining the generation gap a little bit further. Yes. The, you know, the baby boomers, the Gen Xers, and the millennials. And that's not at all what they did. Jaeger is very accepting, doesn't question it. So, like, on the one hand, I sit there and like, oh, okay, good on you, Disney, because you're making everybody accepting, which is ultimately what you want anyway. But I thought perhaps there was a little bit of a missed opportunity here for a little bit of a tough pill to swallow, for a little bit of controversy where perhaps you were going to make the generation divides a little bit more. And now Jaeger, who's been subterranean for 25 years, this is a part of his character understanding how the world has changed and seeing how the world has changed. Again, this goes back to the conversation we had during Lightyear. I'm not debating whether or not things or should not have been differently 25 years ago. We're talking about how things were 25 years ago. To me, if we're living in present time, because they don't ever define the timeline mm -hmm, either, mm -hmm. but living in a world where you are living in present time and you're going to set the clock back 25 years, Jaeger has to learn something too, right? It can't just be, it can't just be, okay, I'm back. Like, there has to be some sort of repercussions for his actions. And I think that you could have had that reproduction, or, or not reproduction, that repercussion, even further than, well, I lost my relationship with my son and my wife remarried Sheldon. Yeah, like, there's got to be something that he learns here, too. I thought that they would. They didn't. I'm not surprised that they didn't. But perhaps a missed opportunity. I would agree with that. But I think that also goes back to they are trying to channel the audience point of view through whoever Ethan is in the scene with. Um, but again, I feel like it could have been more relatable, like you said, to establish the generation gap, to give Jaeger, who has been so far removed from not just his family, but from society, just a moment to wrap his mind around it and, and then see that acceptance instead of we're going to gloss over this to avoid a controversy. Yeah, and, and while we're on the topic of, we meet Diazzo in the beginning of the film, right? That's That establishes that Ethan is the first openly out member of the LGBTQ community, all right? That's a part of this character. But really, it's a part of a character who's got... A lot of internal conflict because he's 16. That's confusing enough. But now he's also trying to figure out exactly what he wants to do with his life and explain that to his father. His mother obviously is encouraging him to try something different. He doesn't have to be a farmer. But the fact that Diazzo keeps coming up in conversations, the fact that Diazzo comes up three times 
during this expedition. Diazzo is a character that we've had a minute's worth of screen time with. And he keeps coming up, and he keeps coming up, and he keeps coming up. I feel like Diazzo, after a while, is what starts defining Ethan as a character. I think that's a problem, because Ethan shouldn't be defined by that. But the fact that we keep getting reminded of it, I'd say about every 25 to 30 minutes, there's a Diazzo reminder. And they happen further along. As we get to the end of the film, it happens a lot more. Um, the fact that this isn't... Diazzo is not... The pursuit of Diazzo has nothing to do with anything that's going on in this movie. Like, if you think about Aladdin. Aladdin becomes Prince Ali because he's pursuing Jasmine. Ariel in The Little Mermaid, she wants to be a human, but she finds Eric. She rescues Eric. So now they're pursuing each other, and she wants to be on the land with the humans, right? It's always been something that she's had interest in, but now it gets pushed over the top because she's got a means to it through Ursula, but now she also wants to pursue Eric. Beauty and the Beast, they need somebody to break the curse. Now go and look back at a movie like The Rescuers, right? Bernard's got a little crush on Bianca, but it doesn't define Bernard as a character. Mm -hmm. It's just a part of him. I feel like in this case, you have all of these other characters where it is a part of the story. But it's not. But but and that's what makes it a part of the character. There, nothing that Diazzo does in this movie other than exist has anything to do with anything that Ethan's doing in this film. Right. And the fact that they keep coming back to it, as much as they come back to him being confused about whether or not he wants to tell his father that he wants to be a farmer or an explorer, which could be the worst thing that Ethan hears, or the worst thing that Searcher hears, because n- number one, it's not what Searcher is, but number two... It's a reflection of the one thing that has created the most pain in Searcher's life. And and you're almost reminded of both of them in equal measure, which tells me that I feel like at times Disney didn't know how to write this character. Right, because Diazzo is his crush. It's not like they're together yet and the goal is I have to get back to him. Right. To your point, too... As far as Ethan's internal struggle, I feel like we don't see that enough as far as choosing between being an explorer or being a farmer. Because I feel like those are the choices that are presented to him by his family. What I don't like is how he's in the end, he chose between one or the other. And it wasn't even like he had other interests or was trying to pursue other avenues. And that's almost where it's like, I feel like 16 was a little bit too young because you're not even out of high school yet. Like, yes, you do have to kind of start deciding your career path at that point, whether or not you're even going to college. But I don't like that it was so black and white where it was either like, you're going to be an explorer or you're going to be a farmer. Were those the only two other occupations? I mean, there's a whole city in Avalonia and I assume a lot more careers going on in there. And I feel like it would have been much more relatable if he was just completely lost instead of choosing 
one of two paths. He just didn't have a path forward yet. Um, especially because bringing it back to this conversation with Jaeger, they rushed through it. Searcher comes and interjects and he's like, oh my God, they're bonding. I have to, I, I have, have to, to stop, stop this. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the bickering continues and then Ethan sort of becomes a quip machine trying to mediate the situation. And I was like, no, we were doing so great. And I was really liking this character, despite how many times he's been disobedient. Yes, he's still a kid, but he is 16. He is starting to, you know, come out of his shell a little bit. And and like I said, this is where forging your own path would have been more effective. So even though he keeps running off on his own, he's proven that he can handle it. So I still very much like him up to this point. And then when he breaks up the fight, it just becomes very all-knowing and quippy. This is while they're playing Primal Outpost and it goes wrong. This is just before. Um I actually really love Primal Outpost. I think that this is such a fantastic way to channel the different generations and the different point of views. And I almost feel like it should have come earlier because this is where the main message of this movie is coming from. And I feel like because there is so much controversy surrounding it, this is the message that is getting lost and it is far too important. Um, you mentioned before that you thought the generations were Boomer, Gen X, and Millennial. I disagree. I think that Jaeger is Gen X, uh, Searcher is Millennial, and Ethan is Gen Z. Even though they haven't given us a hard timestamp, it doesn't necessarily exist in the same timeline that we're in right now, that's kind of what I was relating the point of views to. I mean, I'm just putting it in in my point of view, like, if it were us, first off, you'd be setting the film 10, at least 10 to 16 years into the future from present day, which would make us more your Gen Xers, our parents being the baby boomers, and then, you know the next generation would be either the millennials or the Gen Zers, right? I mean, I, in one, it, it doesn't matter. Like, in, in one way or the other, it doesn't really matter. It's, you're right, they, there's, they do a better job defining the generations here than they do everywhere else. It's probably the best written scene in the movie. Like, yes. low-key, it's the best written scene in the movie. Because even though they are arguing each of them is making a valid point. And as you're watching this unfold, it's like you, you just need to listen to each other. Right. Again, I love the social commentary. Uh, speaking of listening to each other, who thinks it's a, a good idea to leave poor legend, the dog with three legs, oh my God. Out, outside on the ship by himself while we're flying through acid? This is the conversation that we should really be having about this film is how much... They have endangered this dog. Over and over and over again. Seriously. The dog should have never been allowed outside the ship, on on the bridge, on the exterior. Uh, 
And they leave him out there with Splat while Splat is conducting the orchestra of acid. I do love this scene for Splat. Yeah. But as I am watching the ship teeter-totter and Legend slide and Legend fall, it's too much. Too much for me. And nobody's trying to help. No! They're all just letting it happen. Let's talk about how they see the immune system of this creature, but they don't yet know it's an immune system. So they think of it as pests. They think that this is the infection that's killing the Pando. I think that their rationale made sense. Yes. Without knowing anything else, I think their rationale made sense, and it was a great means of throwing you off the path of what was really going on here. And again, I think it speaks to the social commentary and the generation gaps is that there have been so many things that are set in place and the next generation is just going to believe them because it's what your parents or grandparents told you. But it's only now that we're realizing that we are supposed to question what was established to the norm. Right. Uh, So I love that they're doing that here. The only thing that I don't like about this scene is um, when they realize that they can fight what they think are their attackers with the Pando. Um, Jaeger teaches Searcher how to throw. And it is so on the nose and so heavy handed for, you know, this daddy bonding moment that they missed. Yeah. Now I'm going to throw I'm going to show you how to throw a ball for the first time. Exactly. But I mean, it still does sort of work because it it shows that Searcher is not as physically adept as Jaeger is. And that's always kind of been their thing. Yeah. Um, I think when how do you I know we have to get to the eye. We need the reveal. Um, How do you feel about Ethan running off again at this point? Because you get them battling the disease, or so they think, with the precious Pando. They're just using up all the Pando that they have. I do have that note, too, that Searcher just starts using this flamethrower to destroy what he says are pests in the name of saving crops. It's so on brand for him, but it's also so Jaeger. He literally is becoming his father, and we're going to see that play out even more when he goes to chase down Ethan. Um, Yeah, by now... Ethan has almost completely lost me because he walks off in a huff. And for someone who has great dialogue otherwise, there are times where he's like, you're just, and then he'll go walk off. That really bothers me. Teen angst tropes. Yes. Over and over and over again. Yes. Um, But I do think this one is worth it for the reveal. I don't know that I buy that the motorcycle has the capability to get over these mountains when Jaeger hasn't been able to do it on foot and they're not in the bigger ship trying to cross. So the fact that they kind of just drift out, I feel like is a little bit far-fetched, but I'll buy it just because the reveal that they are on a living creature is just so well done. And the turn now that Searcher is going to take when he realizes that he has to protect his legacy by destroying it and sending the message of your real legacy is your family. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what your job is. It doesn't matter what discovery you make. 
it is protecting your circle and the ones that you care about. Um, it, it's all worth it. it. It's a, it's such a great payoff. Yeah. This was, this is the point of the whole movie, right? So they come back and immediately nobody except Meridian is going to believe them. When they say that we're, that you're killing a living thing that we're living on the back of, we saw this eye and nobody questions it in terms of, well, are you sure you saw what you thought you saw? They're just like, no, you didn't lock him in the closet. Like it, it just doesn't seem like it makes any sort of sense. You're on this subterranean world where you literally can't explain anything. And now it's not just one, but it's two people. Had it, okay, had it been Jaeger. Yes. Had Jaeger been the one to see it. And they sit there and they go, he's been in the subterranean world for 25 years. He's seeing things. He's obsessed with this idea of getting to the other side of the mountains. He's gotten there and it wasn't what he was looking for. And he's seeing things. Like, then I'd be like, okay, that makes sense if you're going to question it. But the fact that it's Ethan and Searcher, and to the point you made Searcher's going to destroy his own legacy to save it, it's just odd to me that everybody goes, no, that's not true, lock him up. Yeah, we're not going to believe the Pando expert, but that also comes from spending too much time on the two topics of social commentary that you haven't developed the rest of your characters other than Callisto. You've got a bunch of mindless bandwagon jumpers for the crew that does what whatever anyone tells them to who they think is right in the moment which i guess could also be a social commentary if you think about it but they haven't done anything they are not fully developed they they haven't given us as the audience enough of a reason to believe that they would go up against searcher and ethan yeah. It it just doesn't make sense. And I hate that whole scene where they're locked in the closet. Yes, it's funny. It's a good moment between the family and legend. But Splat could just go through the entire time and unlock the door. And it's exactly what he did. Yeah. That that one falls flat for me. I wish that they had left it that they were all trapped in there and they had to get legend. Le- legend was the one to successfully get them out. Right. Um I mean, let me do you have any other notes? in getting to the end of this movie because I'll be honest I don't have much more after this um really just that for as well paced as this movie is I feel like in the third act there are too many heart to hearts during the action um instead of having the action and then like letting it fall a little bit um it starts to feel a little bit cheesy. It's not like um, in Pirates of the Caribbean, like when you think about the the first sword fight between Jack and Will in the uh, in the blacksmith shop, right? That is just so. I I mean, I know I hold pirates on a pedestal, but it's just such a well written scene where you have the action and dialogue so perfectly balanced, and they are getting to know each other. Um. I feel like that's what they tried to do here, but the dialogue is so heavy handed with like, we're going to understand each other now. And as far as Jaeger, I, I should have this and 25 years of let's kiss and make up. 
exactly that there you go that's exactly it whereas in pirates they're doing it and it's kind of like tongue-in-cheek it's it's being done with with a peppered comedy as well yes exactly um and and i get it it's different because in pirates you have two characters meeting versus i mean you could argue they jaeger has just been reintroduced into the mix so kind of they are just meeting but you had the advantage of having a whole family here that already has strong dynamics and you didn't use that family history to to keep the scene to to stop it from feeling so cheesy yeah um but they break through the pando it's jaeger and searcher doing it together ethan brings the reapers back they fight off the infection and now we're going to live in this pando free world so back to your organic sustainable farming of course this is a social commentary because I know people are trying to get away from fossil fuels, but if you've ever seen a lithium mine, well, you know, uh, not much better, folks. But I, I see the social commentary here. I like Ethan's end. I like that Ethan now is off on his own, even though very young, because it's only a year later, but now he's subterranean. He's in literally the belly of the beast with his friends, and they're learning more about this living organism that they're living on turns out it's going to be a turtle like is it a turtle or is it i don't know it reads kind of sea monstery to me because it's so big i don't know well it's yeah but i think it's a turtle a turtle has mountains growing out of its back yeah why not at this point but this goes back to the to the the conversation at the beginning i do believe that ultimately at the end of the day this is a comic book movie i think that they've done everything they can to tell you that it's a comic book movie living in the subterranean, having this really unique organism that they think is going to give them all of the power that they need, have you living on the back of a giant turtle, you know, all of these creatures, the themes, like, yeah, I, I believe this is a comic book movie through and through. Or was the comic written about the clades? I think you can still make that argument too. If you we're could. living in this world could, of Avalonia where they have statues erected to these figures, would it be such a, a stretch to have a comic book written about them if, if they, you know, hero worship this family? I suppose they could. I see the point that you're making. It's a valid point. It certainly could be that exact thing. I think that you're I think there is debate one way or the other. And I think that both arguments are valid. But I think we're we're living in the world where, to you, it's a comic book based on real people. To me, it was a comic book movie the whole time. If it's a comic book based on real people, I can't forgive the names. All right, let's talk about the cast, and let's talk about the names. Uh, Searcher Clade is played by Jake Gyllenhaal. I really like the character. I like his internal conflict. I like that... At the end of the day, he has to question his whole thing is I have to build a legacy my son will be proud of, which he does by tearing down that legacy. Uh, I thought Jake Gyllenhaal did a good job with it, and I really like the character. Yeah, I love Jake Gyllenhaal doing the voice, although there are some moments where if you close your eyes, I never realized how much he sounds like Steve Carell, but he does. Um, but I do like the character, and I like the full arc of Searcher becoming exactly what he feared. 
and having to deal with those repercussions. Jabuki Young White plays Ethan Clade, and I said it before, I, I like this character. And I like that he's got a handful of teenage struggles that he goes through. I like the fact that he is trying to wade his way through some very, uh, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, I don't want to call them troubled waters, choppy waters. He's he's working his way through some choppy waters. Um. The, the constant finding himself in trouble because he's stubbornly walking away. It's a teen angst tropes that I, I kind of wish that we would get away from. And I just wish they would have found a better way to define the character. That's, I think, if I have any issue with it, it's just that it's great that we have the representation. But I feel like they tried too hard at times to remind you of what he is. And I don't know that that should have defined the maybe maybe it's not for me to say, but I don't know that it necessarily should have been everything that defined the character and I think that at times that's at times I think that's what they tried to do. See, I don't think it defined him. I do think that Disney was being very heavy-handed as per usual. Um but despite I know I've knocked on Ian a couple of times for, like you said, the teen angsty tropes. I actually think he is one of the most well-written characters that Disney has ever done because he is so open-minded. And that's why I think that he is supposed to be a reflection of Gen Z because he does question all of the norms, like with the weeds in the beginning. And um, even with Splat, I mean, he does trust him too easily and they do acknowledge it and he's like are you Kenna are you trustworthy you seem trustworthy I think I think it's fine um you know I I do think that that is a very Gen Z mindset is to always look for the good in everything and everyone and to live harmoniously with nature which is a big value of Ethan's and questioning the norm but Ethan does it in such an endearing way because he's just such a curious character and he is so open-minded it doesn't come off that he feels like he knows better which I feel like is a big contention sometimes in the real world between Gen Z and the older generations because without a lot of life experience they're coming off like they know more just because they are questioning it. Uh, but I do like that Ethan figured out his calling. I think he lands in a really good place um, because he kind of does get the best of both worlds, right? Like he's still getting to live in this new place or, or at least work in this new place. Uh, and he can continue to explore what's below Avalonia. But um, what he's ultimately doing is helping the farming. So while I don't love that he was forced to pick between A and B because that was put on him by Jaeger and Searcher, and I wish that he would have been able to do a little bit more soul searching as far as the path he wanted, I do feel like he's exactly where he's supposed to be. And I like that they established that he is there with his friends. They are living out their primal outpost fantasy. And I like that we do get closure that he ends up with Diazo. All right. Uh, Dennis Quaid plays Jaeger Clade. 
Dennis Qu- I love Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid is good in everything, which means Dennis Quaid is good in this. I like that he kind of got to go over the top a little bit with yes. some of uh, Jaeger's dialogue. Uh, the funny thing, though, too, is that Jake Gyllenhaal and Dennis Quaid were actually in Day After Tomorrow together. Oh, what an awful movie. Terrible. But they forgot because they never had a scene together. The first time they met in person was when they were working on this. Or they forgot because it is one of the worst <laughs> movies of all time. Uh, Gabrielle Union plays Meridian. I, I love the way that she plays her. I love the attitude that she gives her. Uh, strong matriarch. Uh, really a strong character. I think low-key one of the strongest characters in the movie. She is, and I wish she would have had a little bit more screen time. But I like that they give her her own path. It's not like she's tagging along on the boys' adventure because she's a pilot. She is totally in her element. She gets to do her own thing. She's respected even when, even after they lock up the family, they know they still need her to fly this thing and, and get them out of there. Um, so she's such an important character, and I love Gabrielle Union. I have loved her since 10 Things I Hate About You. I think that was her first movie. Uh, but she's great. Lucy Liu plays Callisto Mall, the president of Avalonia. Strong character. Thick-headed, but not to a fault. Because when she locks them in the closet, which again makes no sense, uh, it it is so quick, and it's, it's over, and they very quickly take control of the ship and show her the heart, and now she's got a change of her own heart. But I think she's still a strong leader, ultimately. Yeah, this is one of those rare occurrences where thick-headedness really works and makes her likable because with all of the bickering between Jaeger and Searcher, even Meridian is kind of like, I'm out of this. I'm not getting between the father and son argument. I don't even know my father-in-law. Like, I- I'm I'm just going to keep an eye on my kid and my dog that nobody seems to be watching. Uh and she tries to she she doesn't really mediate. She's just trying to be a support system to all of them. So you need somebody like Callisto to ground everyone. And she's really the one who tells Jaeger and Searcher to shut up and focus on the task at hand and stop the bickering even more so than the mom. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts on Strange World. I'll go first today. Um, I think all around it's a very good movie. I think that the world building is incredible. I think the animation's incredible. Uh, I think the characters are really good. Yes, a lot of it comes off, I think, as heavy-handed at times. But I think ultimately, I commend Disney for having a very inclusive cast, a very inclusive cast on the, not just in terms of the voice acting, but also on the screen. Um... I think that the representation in the film is great. Uh, it's some of the best that we've seen. I think you can look forward to seeing more of it. I like the fact that you did take a character. This was our thing with Lightyear, right? You took... You 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 tried to get your LGBTQ representation in Lightyear where it felt it was a little forced in there, like they kind of shoehorned it in. But it also didn't define that character. Right. In this case, 
you wrote a story about a member of that community, which was what I said during Lightyear. Write us a story about a character in that community, which you did, but it felt more shoehorned in than they did in Lightyear. And I think that that's also the big difference between how Pixar writes and how Disney writes. I think the writing that comes from Pixar, more times than not, is far superior than the writing you're getting from Disney anyway. But I think that they did a good job. I think it's a shame that the movie didn't perform in the box office the way that it did. It's refreshing to hear that it got a second life on Disney+. Plus. Do I want to see more of the Clades? I actually would. Do I think we're going to? Absolutely not. And that has nothing to do with controversy and has everything to do with the amount of money that this film lost. Which is over the controversy. Uh, no, I agree with you. Um, I really, really like this one. I'm glad that it's getting a second life on Disney+, Plus, like you said, because my fear that the overall message of learning to listen to each other which is so important, was going to get lost. I love the idea that problem solving took all three generations here and each had something valuable to contribute and that they just had to figure out what the best value from each point of view was to move forward. Um, you know, I, I think that that's so relatable because especially when you think about, you know, social media now, all anyone does is argue. They don't listen to each other. It's just like pick a side. Um, so I love that they wrote to that. I love that there was cause and consequence with it. Um, and I love that they showed them finding common ground at the end. Um, and I was so afraid that because of the controversy over this movie, that was all going to be lost. So I'm really happy that it's not, um, I really enjoy this one. Is it one of my favorites? No, but it's certainly not anywhere near the bottom of my list um the only thing is i think you do lose something in the rewatchability knowing that they are on a living creature that there's nothing like the reveal the first time you see it um especially because it's nothing like the trailer right exactly but i think what will keep people coming back for the rewatch is the world building and the stunning animation um, so I, I think this one was really well done. We want to hear what you have to say about Strange World. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen Kismet, your official Monorail news sponsor, and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. Plus, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout to see all of Kelly's services. It's online at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. That's Karma, the letter, and KismetDesigns.com. Little bit of news this week. Parks-related. The Galactic Star Cruiser, which <laughs> continues to be a topic of conversation uh, for its failures. For the first time, 
Disney is trying to incentivize people to stay at the Galactic Star Cruiser by offering discounts. Funnily enough, though, they're not actually offering the discount on the Galactic Star Cruiser. What they're offering is a discount between $150 and $350 a night if you tack on additional stays at another Disney Resort hotel. So let's say you do your two days at the Star Cruiser, and then you're going to do two or three more days at Pop or Grand Flow. Depending on the level of hotel that you stay on or stay at will depend on your rate of discount. But, I mean, if you're going to stay at, say, Pop at 200 bucks a night, and they're going to discount it $150, and now you're paying $50 a night to stay at Pop to incentivize you to stay at the Galactic Star Cruiser... It's bringing the price point down. It's still more expensive than an average Disney trip used to be, but it's getting it closer to that what that price point was. But I find it interesting that Disney is still going to ride and die with the Galactic Star Cruiser. <laughs> I don't understand why you don't just knock down the price of the Star Cruiser itself. And I'm just going to say this now. I think five to ten years from now, I think the Galactic Star Cruiser is going to be there. I think it'll be a Star Wars-themed hotel. But I think they're going to abandon this idea that it's going to be this fully immersive, very expensive. I could see it being priced more like a moderate resort where you just sleep in rooms that are themed like Star Wars. Yeah. I think that's ultimately where this is going. I think that this is going to end up being, in terms of Disney parks, I think in the future you're going to look at the Galactic Star Cruiser the way you looked at extraterrestrial the way you looked at superstar limousine i think it's just going to be one of these follies of disney but it's going to be one of the more expensive ones i completely agree and i hate to say that because our new sponsor is such a big star wars fan and kelly actually just stayed at the galactic star cruiser last month you can actually see that on her website too karma and kismet designs.com um she she did a full write-up well actually in her newsletter which you should you should subscribe to. Uh, But she did a full write-up of her stay uh, and she really loved it. I believe she's going back again uh, to get a different story experience. Um, But yeah, I feel like that's the part that's not working. I feel like for the Star Wars fans, it's such a great experience, but I just think the price point is too high where you are excluding even some of your diehard Star Wars fans because they can't afford it. And you're certainly not going to be hooking middle of the road Star Wars fans. It's not enough to to pique their interest when you have something like Batu, which is just as fully immersive and you do still get that Star Wars story in there. Um, what I don't want to lose sight of the fact, though, is that there are discounts being offered in some capacity because you have a CEO back in place who understands <laughs> the value of people's dollars and what is actually going to get them to spend those dollars. I think that the reason that you're seeing such low capacity at this hotel, other than the price point, is because it's really only appealing to locals who are going to go there and spend the night and and just experience the story. Whereas if you're a big Star Wars fan and you're coming on vacation, 
because it's not very cost effective, that might be the only thing that you can do. So I don't think it has that out of state draw where people are just going to come and spend one night on the Star Cruiser and go to Galaxy's Edge for the day, which is included in the price. That's what I'm saying. If you're someone who comes to Disney every other year like we did... When we would do our vacations, we would do that because it was a week and a half long vacation. We couldn't do a full week and a half if we were staying on the Star Cruiser. No, it would. you would take a nine or ten day vacation and it would be over in three days. Exactly. So I think that that's what Iger is trying to do here is allow people to experience it and still have the rest of their vacation by doing this discount instead of people having to decide, well, if I do the Star Cruiser, that's all I'm getting. Correct. Well, we want to know what you have to say about this recent news. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. Make sure you're following us on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. And for links to everything related to the show... It's always going to be online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.